Welcome to the Men Made For More podcast, a show designed by men for men looking to get strong, feel confident, and live a high-performing life. As men, we face many challenges as we try and strive for a better life. You want to live a meaningful and confident life, but you don't know where to start. You've lost your physical and mental edge that's keeping you from living out your full potential. You're tired of talking about doing big things, and you're ready to start living it. With the Men Made For More podcast, our goal is to teach you how to strengthen your body, your mind, and your purpose on your way to reaching your full potential. It's time to start living as the man you know you can be to help lift those up that matter the most in your life. Every week, we'll have a featured guest who will share valuable information and experience to give you actionable strategies you can apply to live as the man you were made to be. We'll draw on our guest's knowledge and experience. More importantly, we'll discuss how this applies to the common challenges and struggles of being a man in today's world. Our goal is to not only build strong men physically, but to help coach and develop strong friends, sons, brothers, fathers, business owners, and professionals in every area of your life. I'm your host, Dr. Dave Pachkowski, proud husband, business owner, physical therapist, and strength coach with a passion for helping other men strengthen their body, their mind, and their purpose. Wherever you're at on your journey, I'm excited to have you here with us today. Now let's dive in to today's episode of the Men Made For More podcast. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to today's show. I'm so excited for this one. Got special guest, Dr. Zeon of Ignite Physio and Sports Performance, and we're talking all about how to bounce back from a major injury or setback. A little bit about Dr. Z. He grew up in Southern California playing basketball and baseball competitively, and his passion for sports is what drove him to become a physical therapist and work with athletes of all types. He's worked with the local high school and collegiate teams on the importance of injury prevention and taking a proactive approach to health. As a physical therapist, he has experience working in basketball, baseball, football, softball, soccer, tennis, and golf. He's also worked extensively with runners, weightlifters, and CrossFit athletes. Ziad has a passion for working with overhead athletes and those rehabbing from ACL reconstructions. He has researched and worked extensively with high school and college athletes post-ACL reconstruction, allowing them to return to their sports at the highest level. He also has worked with overhead athletes such as baseball, softball, swimming, and volleyball from the youth to professional levels. Some of the things we're going to be diving into here is the key mental components to responding to injury or setback, how there's no such thing as good versus bad, and if you believe this, you'll start to make it a reality, how to set yourself up for success by using small wins, why you're not broken and you're much more resilient than you think, especially when you're bouncing back from an injury or setback like this. In rehab, you should not have tunnel vision when it comes to getting to the root cause of your injury and the importance of finding a practitioner or coach that you can connect with and that has your best interests in mind. Guys, a lot of good stuff coming your way today. I'm excited for you to listen. Let's get started. Dr. Z, welcome to the Men Made for More podcast. So stoked to have you on here today, man. Oh, I appreciate you having me on, David. It's, it's been a long time coming. I'm glad to be a part of like this cool thing that you're creating, man. Yeah, super excited to have you. And I want to start by having you just give listeners a, a general overview of your story personally and professionally and what you're up to. Yeah, so I um, so basically I started you know, back in uh, 2010. I graduated from USC from PT school and um, got into that world because I always really wanted to work with athletes, work with active people. Um, just could never imagine myself doing something where I was sitting behind a desk or being very inactive. And so uh, PT sort of spoke to me and uh, got done. Went to, through PT school, uh, worked for about seven and a half years in two different clinics. One of them I had a um, leadership role in where I was in management and running a couple of clinics. So being able to see like the business side of things while I was treating. So it was, it was nice to be able to hit 
both both check marks for me, like both benchmarks. So I always wanted, I got into PT school partly because I wanted to run a business. And so being able to see that side of things was really helpful. But, you know, that model where you're seeing, you know, once one person every 15 minutes and you know, you're funneling through this and it's going quick and it's back and forth and you don't ever feel like you have an opportunity to like fully give your, your full, your all to, to the person that's in front of you. And, and I always felt like guilty for that a little bit. Like I wasn't really able to like be myself. And um, that's when I had the impetus to sort of start Ignite and um, kind of, you know, figure out a different model. And I saw that the, the I had a network cash-based practice was sort of booming in our world. And um, it really felt like the right fit for me. And so now being able to spend like an hour with my clients and being able to like choose the type of person I want to work with, motivated individuals who want to get back to like living a pain-free life and being, you know, as optimal in performance as possible. Like that's really what I've settled into now. And honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give anything. I, I would never go back on what I've learned over the last couple of years and just excited to be able to like grow from there and, and just get better and better, man. Yeah. Super cool. And why don't you dive in a little deeper too, to the, the ACL niche that you have? Cause that's something that you've really stepped into and we'll get the plug at the end. But for those not following you on Instagram, you are absolutely killing it on there with the, with the content. So I want you to give listeners a little overview of the ACL niche and how you got into that. I appreciate that, man. So, you know, I, I started working with ACLs probably about five or six years ago, a lot more, a lot more intimately. And I worked with, um, a local school here called, you know, Cal State Fullerton and they I worked with their athletic program for a while. And I got, a, saw a couple of them there and really, really like piqued my interest in working with that population, you know, the athletic high level elite population, you know, coming back from such a grind of a, of a rehab, man. And it's one of those things where, for those of you that don't know, like it's essentially from surgery to getting back to your activity, it could be at a minimum nine months all the way up to 15, 18, two years. It just depends on how the process goes. And so when you have a grind of a rehab like that, where it's, it's lasting that long, like I, I sort of developed like a, 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 it, it hits me in my heart because I've seen people go through it and like not feel like themselves. And so for me to be able to bridge a gap and help, help them come back to something that they just haven't been able to do in a long time and, and it really is an underserved population where they're just not getting ideal treatment from, um, from our population, from our profession or, you know, PTs just don't do a really good job of bringing, bringing these folks back to elite level participation. And so, um, started to get into that more and started to really push a lot of content out on social media. Cause I really do do, it speaks to me and it's something that I really enjoy working with. I have a love for it and a passion for it. And so I started putting out a lot more content on it. People reached out and I've been able to like put these programs together to help people, either whether they're in person or remotely feel like they're actually being cared for and listened to. And somebody that actually understands what they're going through. Cause a lot of times their healthcare practitioners don't really understand the mental barriers that, should, that they're going through. Yeah. Such a, such a problem, such an underserved population. And can you touch a little bit on when we say elite level too, sometimes that is athletes trying to get back to a high level, but it's not only people trying to get back to say collegiate or pro sports. There's other people that suffer ACL injuries and elite level for them might be day-to-day stuff. Can you see some of that population as well? Yeah. Elite level is, is basically in the eye of the beholder. So like we talk about elite level athletes in terms of college and pro athletes, but there are also people in their thirties, forties, and fifties who played competitive sports when they were younger and then have moved on into a different level of competition or they were, they moved on to like their life is partially defined by their ability to be that person, to be active, to participate, to compete. And so, um, I work with a lot of, um, like 30 and 40 somethings who are working professionals that don't have the time that 
a collegiate athlete or professional athlete would have to put into their body. And so I, I really, really developed like a nice little niche where there's people that work, you know, 40, 50 hours a week, full-time jobs, they have kids, they have families and developing programs for them to do on their own time. In addition to working with me on a, on a relatively inconsistent basis. Like, so if we're doing like once a month or every six weeks, something along those lines where I get to work with them, but then to draw up an actual strength and conditioning program that's ACL specific for them. And I feel like that fits a need that a lot of the population um, wasn't getting because they really weren't being guided back into the gym to be able to feel like they can get back to being that person again. Yeah. It's so cool that you have that, that offering for people too. Cause I know when you're in college sports or something, it's essentially your full-time job is to get better, to get back on, on the field, get back in your sport. But for the everyday person who's working, supporting their family, doing those things, they need something that's time efficient. Exactly. And I think that at the end of the day, being able to like get back to the whole point of like being able to be a healthcare practitioner that listens to them. Yeah. Being able to design something that works and fits in that person's life. Not that, not something that works for me and what I think is best for them. Because if I give them something that's overwhelming to them and they don't feel like they have the ability to do it and it doesn't fit their life, it really, at the end of the day, I'm just setting them up for failure. And I'm, I'm, I'm not being any different than anybody else's that they've, that they've encountered in their, in their healthcare experience. And so being able to listen to them and, and understand what their demands of their life are and what, and, and still being able to give them the best from a physiologic and a healing standpoint like that, that's the best of the both worlds. And that's really what I enjoy doing the most. Yeah. So cool. I love that Z. And, uh, I, I love what you said about it being a grind of a, a rehab process. And that's, that's such a good way to put it. And getting injured is never fun. And even small aches and pains for people, if they're, like you said, identifying with an active lifestyle, those things can feel like, feel like big setbacks when you can't do those things you love. And when we look at something like an ACL injury specifically, like you said, this is it upwards of a year, sometimes longer to, to bounce back from. And that can, place a real strain mentally, psychologically on someone. And, and we'll get in later some of the physical considerations, but I think that, and I'm sure as you see all the time, that mental psychological confidence standpoint is such a big barrier for people, people getting back to it. And there's, there's fear that comes with it. There's self-doubt and confidence and worry and the unknown of, will I ever get back to that? And if that's not addressed properly, all the physical things probably won't be quite as effective. So in your experience working with so much of, uh, so much of this population, can you touch a little on the, the mental side of things and how big of a role that plays and what you see with, with the rehab process in that regards? Yeah. I mean, not even just ACL. I mean, it's huge in the ACL rehab population, but just in general, like you said, like any, any relatively long-term injury or chronic pain or something that, that somebody that has had a profound enough effect on their life, the, the, we, we really underscore how important the, the head, the being in a proper headspace is to actually getting back to like your, the, you know, your physical peak or the optimum physical level. Because if you are fearful of movement, if you've had like these, we call it nocebo. Like if you've had all of these like really negative terminologies used for your body, like I, I like one example, the perfect example is I have a lot of people that come in and say, um, which one are we talking about? Are we talk about my good knee or my bad knee. We talk about my good shoulder and my bad shoulder and little things like that have sort of been ingrained in their head because, all, because now they've termed this, their injury as bad. And if you're referring to it that way all the time, it's almost like ingrained in your head that there's something wrong with this joint or wrong with this part of your body. And that's a, just a small example of how important the, the, the psychological like, part of this is because if you're constantly telling yourself that it's bad, it's bad, it's, it's weak, it's, it's hurt or whatever it is over and over and over again, it's, it's going to feed into, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy and it's just going to feed into that. And so uh, being able to help guide them through that aspect of it at the beginning, we spend a lot of time sometimes just talking 
like I'm, I'm doing a little bit of hands-on work or we're doing some like light exercise or something and just allowing them to be able to get like to verbalize a lot of the things that they've been internalizing for a long time goes a long way in getting rid of some of that fear and helping them break out a little bit. And, and I've noticed that once they get comfortable with where they are from a mental standpoint, the physical stuff sort of explodes and the, and the floodgates sort of open from that standpoint and a lot of positive stuff comes from there. But you have to, like you said, you have to get past the mental barriers first and that, and, and just talking and verbalizing it is a big way of doing that early on. Yeah, that's great. And do you, do you see people? So are, are people and are people naturally more, uh, more geared towards a positive mental attitude with that or, or a negative one, or is this something that can be coached? And if so, how do you, how do you facilitate that? And how do people go about, uh, maybe they're naturally fearful or not yeah. confident in that. How do you start to reverse that, that script? I think like, I think you said it perfectly. Like, like a lot of people are going to be, everybody's different in terms of how they approach these things. And so I would say for the most part, people are pretty positive, especially with from the ACL standpoint coming out of this. But when you have somebody that's dealing with a more longstanding issue where they've had back pain for 15 years, or they've had this neck issue for like eight years, like the, you know, the ACL side of it, or like these more acute traumatic injuries, it's not something that they've had that kind of wear down on them for years and years and years. So approaching those two aspects, whether it's a chronic thing versus an acute thing, I think I, I approach those from a strategy standpoint a little differently. So they tend to be a little bit more positive when they're acute and traumatic. And it's just a matter of managing the highs and lows and the ups and downs as they go through it. So giving them a lot of little wins as we go. So setting them up for success, like during the rehab process. So not, not putting them in a position where I know that they're going to fail. That's huge for somebody coming off of an acute traumatic injury. So I won't, for example, like if somebody's just getting back into a squat and they're finally getting comfortable with it, I'm not going to put 150 pounds on their back and expect them to be able to do it because I'm setting them up for, to have this negative experience that really was completely avoidable. And I don't want to, I don't want to put that kind of rain cloud over the top of them. So I'll set them up where they're actually going to be in a good position to actually get these little wins along the way. And that seems to resonate really well with them as we move forward when they're, when they're these shorter term post-surgery type positions. When it's something more chronic, we're talking like this long-term low back pain or something along those lines, I tend to approach things a lot slower and we spend a lot more time talking things through and making sure that we're addressing the profound effect that things are having on their day-to-day -day life. So somebody says like, I can't sit for too long and I have a desk job. I drive, I'm in my car all day and I can't do this. I want to be able to lift my grandson and I can't lift my grandson. Like we will spend a lot of time diving into those things and being able to give them those types of wins, I think the, the activities of daily living wins are more profound and impactful on the chronic population, more so than they are on the acute kind of traumatic injury population. Yeah, so well said. And, and regardless of where they're coming in, I, I love the idea of setting them up for success and finding these small wins, because that's something that we feel and people going through an injury feel like, oh, I have to be at, at this point or this point. And we look at someone who has back pain in the bottom of a squat because they can't uh, they can't keep their back from rounding and that's just a sensitive position for them. So we prop their heels up to let them be a little more upright and then they can comfortably do a squat or even something as simple as like barbell versus dumbbells. There's so many little mm -hmm. changes that some people just respond better to and not trying to force feed what, what society or fitness or those things say like, well, you have to be able to, to do this and this and for every person that's, that's going to be different. And, uh, do you, with the, I guess, looking more on the, the chronic side of things, how do you use these physical things to build that mental confidence? So I think a lot of it is, you know, being able to show them that the because I'll, I'll utilize a lot of the things that like just listening to them at the beginning and they say that I have problems with X, Y, and Z. 
So being able to find movement patterns that are similar to the things that they have problems with and show them that they are more resilient and more capable of doing these things than they actually think they are. Because I think a lot of times they come in and they feel like they're broken and there's something wrong with them. Or if I do this, I'm going to damage my back more. So being able to show them like, oh, I, I can't get into a deep squat or I can't bend down and pick somebody up, breaking down the component parts and doing a smaller version of the thing they have a problem with and giving them that victory and letting them feel what it's like to actually do the movement, that goes a long, long way for them in terms of saying, okay, maybe I'm a little bit more resilient than I thought I was, or I'm in a better position than I thought I was. And so I use a lot of, I'll break down a lot of the movement patterns that they struggle with and try to see if I can give them, give them that, that positive mental change so that they know that they're actually more capable of doing it than they think they are. Yeah. So great. And how do you, so how do you get people from what's that progression look like? How long is this within sessions or is this within months of, of say someone with a chronic issue or something, they're extremely fearful to squat with any weight. How are you working them back to that? And how long does a, a process like that take? I think if we're talking about just doing the actual like movement pattern itself, like unloaded, just body weight, just getting them comfortable with the movement, I'm thinking within the first month, we're, we're getting down to that. But again, I'm going to preface it by saying that a lot of times it just depends on how long the issue has been there and then how irritable the level is. So there's a lot of other factors that go into it. But within that first month, we, we usually have a pretty good success rate in getting them back to being able to move in a comfortable manner to be able to at least be confident with the movement pattern before we start adding external loads. And then their ability in terms of their... Um, their fear factor, their risk tolerance, how they feel from that standpoint, because that bleeds over into their day-to-day life as well. But depending on where they are on that spectrum, I can probably load somebody a little bit earlier if they're a little bit more adventurous, if they're a little bit more open-minded to it. But if somebody's super fearful, I may wait a little bit longer purposely before I add some loads to it. Yeah, that's great. And I want to talk a bit on, so when we talk about conventional movements, it's easy to picture the, okay, getting someone back to a bodyweight squat or those things. But like you mentioned earlier, someone trying to pick up their grandkid or play with their grandkid or someone trying to get back in the ACL population to cutting, jumping, twisting, landing, contact, those things that are a little more, I guess what I would say complex in, in nature of they're not as predictable as, okay, I have a, a weight in front of me, I'm squatting down, I'm standing back up. How do you prepare those types of populations on the, maybe the acute ACL side or the chronic side as well to prepare them for those things that are a little less predictable, if you will? Yeah, I I think breaking it down. So I I like starting at the end goal and then reverse engineering how we're going to get there. I think that's a really good way of just approaching rehab as a whole. It's like, where do we want to be? And then how can we have these steps along the way to get there? And so I kind of do the same thing with these more unpredictable movement patterns. So I'll give you an example of both. Like on the ACL side, if we're getting back to have a soccer player that needs to get back to changing directions, cutting and pivoting, I'll allow them to do pre-planned movements first. So I always allow them to do these, these more high level movements with, with them being able to plan what they're going to do and they know exactly how it's going to go about. And then gradually we work into reactive agility. And so we'll actually get to a point where they'll do like a sprint and then I'll tell them which direction to cut at the very last second. So they have to figure out how to, how to um, adapt to the external environment and the stimulus that's around them. And so that's one way that we'll approach it from the ACL side is really start off with planned movement and then, then you go into more of this reactive agility. With the chronic side, I think a lot of it is similar principles and similar components, like have them move loads and have them go through this motion in a planned manner first where they're controlling it and they feel comfortable with it. And then we start doing more unstable things. Like we put, um, you know, like we'll use a barbell and we'll hang super bands from them and we'll hang weights from them. We add a little unstable surface. So they have to constantly, um, you know, adapt and react to what the weights are doing as they're going through the movement. Cause you know, if you ever carried a kid before kids don't, they're not, they're not dead weight. 
like they're going to move around a lot and they're going to change, change positions on you quite a bit. And so when we're talking about like being able to adapt to those types of things, I like adding these external forces to them so that they feel like they've been introduced to as many different and variable um, stimuli as possible. So I think it allows them to feel a little bit more competent, a little bit more comfortable with a lot of those things. Yeah, those are two great examples. And with the people you're working with, how how important is is some of this guidance in, in this what we'll call graded progression for people? Is this because some people, like you said, if, if time's an issue, they might not have the ability to get as much regular help on that. And how much how much of this can be done on your own? And how do you how do you set that up if, if you don't have maybe the resources or the means to be able to do it with uh, with regular guidance or uh, professional help in that sense? Yeah, if we, you know, we'll determine that like at the beginning, like when we first start working together, we get an idea of like what, you know, what kind of handholding the person needs. If they, if they feel like they just need somebody there to watch them because they're a little bit more fearful, we tend to do a little bit more like face-to-face stuff early on. And then we try to slowly start to gradually put the onus on them and give them a little bit more, um, give them just a little bit more of like the, to, to the ability to like advocate for themselves, like to be to be a little bit more self-sufficient. Cause that's what we want at the end of the day. Like I don't want somebody coming in and have, feeling like they need to see me once a week for perpetuity. Like that's not what we want. We want to, I want to be able to like give them that feeling of self-sufficiency. And so what we'll normally do is if we feel like it's somebody that can actually do things on their own, we design programs for them and we have a, we use a software called True Coach. And so it's, it's a really great program because it allows them to have videos of the things that they're doing. It's sets and reps. Everything is broken down for them. So they feel like they're getting the guidance. They have a plan that's put together and it's specific to them and individualized. They're not getting this cookie cutter thing. They know it's specific to them. And they have the ability to have, because we have technology, so they can message me through the app. They can send me a video of them doing a movement, say, hey, how does this look? And some people are good with being able to get that type of guidance where some people are, are, some people need a little bit more walking through and need to be a little bit more in person. So my goal is always to get them as self-sufficient and independent as quickly as possible. But I, well, we have programs where they, we have as much in-person as they need in addition to the remote stuff. And we have some people that are just good at being able to do the remote stuff like right off the bat. Yeah. I love the way you approach all that, both from the in-person side of things and the kind of virtual, more remote side of things. I think it's such a, such an effective model. And to, for what people are looking for though, for, I think that's how all practitioners should be. And I know that's how you and I practice, but unfortunately, like we said earlier, not everyone maybe falls into that category. The healthcare system does have its, its flaws with, with who you can see. And and we touched a little on nocebo stuff earlier. What should, what should be maybe some, some red flags if people are working with someone or what are some of the the positive things someone should look for when seeking out a healthcare provider for something as big as this is a big investment for 10 years of back pain for an ACL injury, you're talking about yeah. a year potentially for, for recovery. So you want to make sure you're finding the good fit. Can you talk a little on, on what to look for maybe if someone's unsure of, of who to find that's right for them? Yeah. I, I think like from a negative standpoint, like if you're looking for some like red flaggy kind of things, like um, some of the big ones are how active is the treatment approach? So if you're going in and working with somebody, is it one of those things where they're just getting you on the table and they're, they're putting their hands on you for like 20, 30 minutes. And then they put you on electrical stim and all these really passive modalities, heat and ice and stuff like that. Those things are very much like symptom modifiers in the short term. Like you're going to feel better walking out of a place like that because they just did some things to change your nervous system and you felt better in the short term, but didn't really dig in deeper into, into the reasons why you're having your issues in the first place. So if they're doing the majority of the stuff is very passive and you're not doing a lot of moving yourself, to me, that's a red flag. I think there needs to be a combination of those two things. Like I'm okay with the hands-on stuff. I do some of it myself, 
But I do think at the end of the day, we need to get people up and moving and have them have them move loads because that's what we do in our day to day lives. And so that's the biggest red flag to me is like how active the treatment is. Second thing for me is, is the person really listening to you? And you're going to know this by when you tell them, do they give you the time to be able to discuss like what's going on with you? Like, you know, your history, your journey and how, where you started and how you got here. And do they design your treatments based off of where you're trying to go? Because if somebody's listening to you, they're going to take your goals into consideration and they're going to really design an approach and a treatment plan that's going to get you back to the things that you really want to do. If you feel like you're just going through the motions and you're doing these things that have absolutely nothing to do with any of the things that you discuss with them at the eval or like through the, through the rehab process, to me, that's another huge red flag and it's something that I think maybe you should look for another practitioner because we, we all need to individualize the care that we're giving to each patient that comes across us. And if it's not being individualized and you feel like everybody's kind of doing the same thing or you're not being washed and guided, to me, that's a huge red flag because you're not really getting, you're not really getting to the where you want to be as quickly as possible. Yeah, I think those are great. And it can, you can, you can follow either sides of this too. If they're not listening to you, you could be a, uh, a mom or a, a grandmother or something, or a grandpa that's trying to get back to lifting their kid and they're having you, you know, do cutting drills and running and things that you're like, I have no desire to be, to be doing that stuff. I yeah. just want to get back to basic, basic living. But then there's also the, we have those, those high end people, the, the CrossFitters, the athletes, and they're in a facility where they don't touch anything aside from maybe a TheraBand or something. Yeah. And I, I think we can agree that that's a problem as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and like a good, you brought up a great point. Cause a good example would be like, if you tell somebody like I, I have a, you know, I've had back pain for a long time, but I travel three, three weekends out of the month. So I don't really have gym access half the time. And then they give you a program and they give you things to do where it requires you to be in a gym. That just doesn't do you any good. Like, or, or vice versa, if you have gym access and they don't give you anything to do in a gym, they're really not taking into consideration all the things that you're expressing that are really important to you in your life. Because oftentimes the people that come to see people like uh, practitioners like you and I, they want to be active. They want to be in gyms again. And so if you're on a table doing a bunch of stretches and straight leg raises and stuff like that, and you're not back up as long as you're able to do all this stuff, if you're not back up doing the things that you want to do again, and you're not, you're not in a gym, you're not doing that kind of stuff. And you've expressed that interest. That's a huge red flag to me because they're clearly not taking those things into consideration. Yeah. Yeah. So true. And it's things that you can just feel ignored. Cause you're like, Hey, I told you I don't have access to this equipment, but you keep programming stuff in and how am I supposed yeah. to get better? And there's just that, that disconnect that's going to keep people from, from doing so. Exactly. On the, on the physical side of things now, and, and I, I love that we were able to jump into some of the mental, mental side of things first and overcoming some of those things. Like we said, that's essential to getting the full results out of the physical that we can, but what are some of the biggest things that are neglected and, and we can focus on either ACL and or back issues? Uh, what are some of the biggest things getting neglected from the physical side of, of the rehab program that's not letting people get back to the degree that they want to get back to or not get back soon enough? I think the biggest, biggest thing that I see is a lot of a lot of the rehab tends to have tunnel vision. And what I mean by that is like, if you come in and you, you come to see us and you say, my back hurts. The, the tendency is to say, okay, let me put all my emphasis and all my focus on the back. And we're just focusing on the back. But like you and I know that oftentimes I have somebody come in with a back issue and they've had this issue for a long time. The second we clean up what's happening at their hips and their ankles, their thoracic spine, we look at their neck, we look at these joints that are like two, you know, one, two, three joints away. And we clean up a lot of the things that are contributing and leading to the, the fact that they're having pain in their back. This is, this is getting down to the root cause of the problem. And oftentimes the root cause is not where the pain is. And so if they're not looking at the areas that are above and below and checking out other, other contributing joints and contributing movements that could be 
putting, putting some stress on the area that's a problem. To me, that's something that, that for me, like that's one thing that is, is inexcusable. Like that's something that should be looked at with everybody. And if you decide that the issue, you meet, you, you uh, come to a, a reasoning point where you're like, okay, the back is the problem. Completely fine. As long as you looked at everything else and you screened out the things that could, could be contributing to it, I'm good with that. But I think that looking above and below is not, is not done enough um, as, as a whole in the rehab room. So, and, and for someone listening that might not understand that as well, for, so say they have a lower back injury, what would some of those treatments look like that might be more appropriate to address the true underlying cause as it relates to maybe thoracic spine and hips? Yeah. So if you're, if you're like, we'll, we'll go back to the example of like being able to go into like a deep squat or bending down to pick something up. If you don't have enough hip flexion, the ability of like your, of your knees to come closer to your chest as you come down, a lot of that stress and a lot of the motion is going to actually happen at the lumbar spine itself. And what we want as we go through any loaded movement or any more dynamic movement is we want the spine to stay relatively stable. It can move and it can go through motions, but oftentimes if you're not moving well in your hips to be able to go into that deep hip flexion, or if you're not able to stay upright, you don't have good thoracic extension as you get deeper, you round too much and it changes the orientation of where the load is being placed through your spine. And so those are two like really common examples that we see with a lot of the CrossFitters and a lot of people that tend to want to get a little bit deeper into their squat is they just don't have the prerequisites at the hip joint into flexion and they don't have the thoracic extension to stay upright to be able to get deep. And then all the stress sort of starts uh, funneling a little bit more to the threat to the lumbar spine. Yeah. Very well said. I think that's whether you're, if you're trying to do it on your own, using things like video, using things like, and being able to do some self-learning to, to know the other role players in something like back pain of knowing that you have to be addressing joints above and below and even down into ankles and shoulders, depending on what kind of activities you're doing. And if you don't have the awareness of that, finding someone who can, can help you. Cause a lot of times we hear people say that well, my back's, my, my back's was keeping me from squatting deeper because I feel my back once I get to 90 degrees or once I get to parallel, when in reality, if your hips and ankles aren't moving, the back's giving this, uh, illusion that that's the, that's the problem when really the back's just overworked and pissed off because it's having to do too much. I can't even tell you how many times I've had somebody come in and they, they, especially with the low back issues they've come in and I don't touch their back for like the first three or four sessions. It's literally like, let's, let's, let's mobilize the ankles. Let's mobilize the hips. Let's get you off the table and let's go. The, like, I'm going to show you some things that you're going to do on your own and you're going to do these mobilizations. And then three, four weeks go by. And then all of a sudden they're squatting without back pain. And we really haven't even touched their back because oftentimes the back is really not the problem. It's just a symptom of the problem. But if you're going to these other places where you're just maybe getting some heat on the back, ultrasound on the back, massage work for the back, and you find yourself not getting the improvements that you want, you have to start uh, considering that there's other options out there that can address the true root cause of what's going on. I would say if there's not a positive change in some way, shape, or form within the first couple of weeks, chances are you're not getting to the root cause of the problem. And, and I don't want to be misconstrued to say like you should be all better by two weeks but you should be notice, noticing some positive changes, whether it's in the frequency of the pain, the intensity of your pain, um, you know, how, how often you can do it with, before the pain comes on. Like those types of things should start to, to change for a positive within the first couple of weeks. And if they're not, I would really take a step back and look and make sure that the treatment that you're getting is really, is really what is perfect for you. Yeah, no, that's, that's so great. And I, I think that applies, especially the first two weeks, but you look at any two week block of your recovery progress, this should be ongoing improvement too. If, if you're stalling, maybe you make a lot of progress in the first month, but then you're doing something for another 12 weeks and you're maybe see, you're like, I'm not really sure if I'm improving. I think that's another, I would say red flag, but something to be aware of that uh, you might not be on the right program if you're not seeing these regular things and having the ability to 
test, retest, see what kind of objective improvements you're having. Yeah. Cause I think as a whole, a lot of, a lot of times we tend to just blindly listen to what our healthcare practitioners tell us. Like we've, we've sort of like been raised that way as a population, as a, as a, as a community. And so I think a lot of times I, I want to be challenged by the people that I'm seeing. Like if I, if I get complacent in, in what I'm doing, then I'm not, I'm not being my best person. I'm not giving them what they, what they need. Like there needs to be constant updates that are being made to plans of care and to the approach like throughout the entire process. It's not just, I set it at the eval and then we go eight weeks and then we'll do it again. We're constantly making tweaks and changes along the way. And so I think that patients as a whole, if you're going to see a provider, you need to challenge them and make sure that they're a good fit for you just as much as we make sure that our patients are good fits for us. Because if it's not a two-way street, you're really not going to be as, as effective with, with our treatment as possible. And so there's a lot of times where I've had people come to see me and they come to see me with an issue that I'm just not that great at. Like I, I can treat it and I might be able to figure my way through it, but it's just not my specialty and I'm not great at it. And so I have a network of people around me that I can say, you know what, go see so-and-so. They're a lot better at this than I am. I think you're going to get a better outcome with them and vice versa. They send people to me because they know that I'm good with ACLs and I'm good with, with, with certain things because like we all have our niches and we all have the things that we're really good at. And I think us having a level of awareness as providers and the patient making sure they're asking a lot of questions and making sure that provider is a good fit for them goes a long way. Yeah, that's, that's, that's perfect. So I think a lot of, a lot of times we assume like, Oh, we're seeing this person there. I, I wish, I wish they had their best interests in mind, but that's just not always the case. Or sometimes it's like you said, it's just not a good fit where it, having the humility to be able to say like, Hey, this isn't, this isn't my specialty, go work with them. Or on the other side, being able to ask questions and be like, I, I don't, I'm not sure if you are, if, if you don't feel like you're fully understood and what you're trying to get back to taking some charge of that. There's, there's plenty of people out there and plenty of options of, of finding the right person that will work with you and will be a good fit for you. Exactly. And that's where having a network and having community and being, being involved and invested in your local community is it goes a long way because then we'll have that network of people we can send them to. Cause at the end of the day, people like you and I, we just want what's right for the person in front of us, whether it's us that provides it or if it's somebody else that can give it to them. Like I just want that person to find the right individual for them and, and that's the best way we can go about that. Yeah. That person's out there. So, so keep looking. And uh, I think for, and this kind of goes along with one of the, as we start to wrap up the ACL and, and pain talk here, uh, for someone that's been dealing with, maybe they had an old injury that's now been going on for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. There's probably a lot more doubt that's crept up. There's probably a lot less confidence in, will I ever get better? Will I find an approach that, that works? And some people have even, and we've seen it, some people have even kind of given up on, on trying to get fully better. What would you say to someone who's been dealing with something for a long time? They've, they're like, Oh, I've tried PT. I've tried it. I've tried it two or three times. I've tried chiropractor. I've tried acupuncture and, and they haven't seen the results you're looking for. What would you say to encourage someone like that and give them some guidance on, on finding an approach that does work? I mean, I think your statement like speaks volumes. Like the, the, the right person is out there. The right approach is out there for you. I think a lot of it is making sure that you're advocating for yourself and you're trying to dig down as many pathways as you possibly can. So they're doing your research online, check like as much as you know, social media can be like this big nebulous place with a lot of like really like a lot of misinformation and a lot of bad things out there too. But there's a lot of stuff that's out there that you may just not know about. So I think continually seeking new ways of approaching things because PT is not a, it's not a thing that's done to you. You go to see a physical therapist, you go to see a chiropractor, like it's just saying that you had a bad experience or you had an experience that didn't work for you with that person. That person's approach just may not have worked well for you. And it's a matter of just finding that right person for you. So I I always think there's hope. Like I will always do everything in our power to figure out like some way to kind of give you, maybe, maybe it's not perfect, but at the end of the day, like to make improvements from there. 
So I would tell the person like continually like seek, seek out more individuals that have had it, maybe talk to other people and, and, and network with other people that maybe have had good experiences and see if that person can be a good fit for you. Cause I think at the end of the day, there's somebody out there for you to help. You just have to continually seek it. Otherwise you're just resigned to the fact that you're going to be in pain. And I don't believe that's everybody's journey. I think that everybody can find a way to get out of pain or have a, a significant decrease in their pain in some way, shape or form. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And if you've had bad experiences, the only other thing I'd add too is don't, don't write off healthcare professionals. Don't write off some yeah. of these professionals that there's so many people that are more than willing to help and not even help as in sure. I'll give you my service, but help as in like, Hey, yeah, let me help you find someone who, who is a good fit. We have networks of people that we can, can help throughout the, throughout the country and being able to seek out help and just say like, Hey, this is my situation. This is what I've been dealing with. Can you at least point me in the right direction? Don't be afraid to, to ask and seek that help. hundred percent. And I can't belabor the point enough. Like if you find somebody that you feel like truly cares about you, listens to you, allows you to sort of be like, is, is almost like your quarterback on your journey, like helping you kind of like facilitate all the things that are happening on your journey. If you find that right person, that mental aspect is so important. And if you can get, if you can break past all these barriers that have been set up um, with this 10, 15 years of chronic pain, I think it goes a really long way in helping you physically get back to where you need to be. And so I would just say, just, just never give up trying to look for that person because that person's out there. Yeah, no, I love that Z. And that's like what we, what we started it with of the mental component being so important and being able to connect with someone and align with them. And like you said, it's a two-way street and no perfect physical regimen is going to, is going to get you fully to your full potential. If you're not fully bought in, if you're unsure, if it's working, if you're, if there's any kind of hesitancy there, that's only going to limit your progress physically as well. Exactly. Yeah. And this is uh, so much great stuff. I'm, I'm glad we were able to go the mental route with it and address some of the common physical things as well. And uh, But when I approached you first with the podcast and told you kind of the idea behind it and, and mentioning that want to be something about so much more than just the, I guess, X's and O's of training of something that, uh, especially for a lot of the men listening, there's a, a big belief out there that we see these guys on social media, like yourself, just killing it. And you have a successful business. You, uh, you're just a real joy to be around. And we see that and we're like, Oh man, I gotta, I'm not like that though. And I'm, I'm missing this. And it's, there's this belief that we have it all together. And, and you and I would both be the first to admit that we're so, so far from that. And, uh, one thing I want to shine some light on, and if you don't mind sharing, uh, are there any recent struggles or challenges or things that you've had to work through recently that have really been a catalyst for your growth as a man? Yeah. You know, I think as a whole, like we, we tend to put out a lot more of the positives and a lot less of the negatives, right? Like we don't, a lot, a lot of times we don't openly share a lot of the things that we deal with on the back end. And there's just things that go on and we're really good at covering it. It's like, I've had, you know, the last like year and a half or so, I've had some problems with my health and trying to like keep myself healthy and, and, and stay in line there. And so being able to go through the day to day of like, we, we have long treatment days, we're running businesses, you know, we're, we're kind of burning the candle at both ends sometimes. And so I have to remind myself a lot of times because my body will sort of just start like breaking down on me a little bit and not like that. I have these injuries that come up. It's just like, you just feel physically fatigued and you have a hard time sort of getting through the day and it, it becomes harder to get through each individual day. So me taking care of the health side, I realize, and I, I've struggled with this a lot in my life, but especially the last year and a half, if I don't take care of myself, I can't take care of others. I can't help people if I don't help myself first. And so I've gotten a lot better and I still struggle with this every day, trying to put myself first every now and then to make sure that I'm taking care of myself physically and mentally. 
because I, I know that it allows me to be my best self for all my patients and the people that I really care about serving. And so that's probably been the biggest struggle for me in the last year and a half with just you know, running a business and being as busy as we are is making time for myself and my health and making sure that I'm, I'm kind of putting that at the top of the list. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And that's something that I've struggled with too. And I'm sure a lot of people listening have, have struggled with. And uh, we're about to wrap up here. I want to just give people uh, some bite-sized takeaways here. And I'll, I'll list mine that I wrote down and then you can add any that, that you had as well. Uh, you're more resilient than you think, and you're not broken. I think that was one of the things that kept coming back time and time again is it's easy to think because I have pain doing this. You associate, okay, I'm broken or I have a good side and a bad side, but those things are just some lies and stories that you might be telling yourself that most likely aren't true. And we see that time and time again. Uh, second piece, avoiding tunnel vision in the rehab process. So getting to the root cause of what's going on. It's easy if you're dealing with a knee issue or a back issue or shoulder issue to focus only on that area. But until you get to the real underlying cause of what's going on, you're not going to fully get the progress you want. And that's something you should see within the first couple of weeks. And last thing was a, a bonus add on that I, I love that I had to replace one of the other ones with that you said at the end here is that you can't take care of others if you're not taking care of yourself. And that's something that you can try putting off for a long time, but if you're not feeling as good as you can physically, mentally, uh, no matter how much you're thinking you're serving others and helping others, if you eventually break down, it's not going to do any good for, for those around you. So those were three of the big things that I had that stood out. Anything you want to add there, Z? Yeah, I think that going to the first piece, like those are great, but going to that first piece is that when you do have pain, don't equate pain with damage. Like when you do have pain and something is bothering you, it doesn't mean that you're creating more of a problem or you're creating damage. Sometimes having pain is actually a positive experience in the, re in, the in, in sort of the, the physiological process as you come back from something. So I, I just, I really want to reiterate to a lot of people out there that are fearful of avoiding pain at all times. Sometimes it's okay to have pain and sometimes we actually look for it because it gives us a lot of information about the way things work and the way your body works. So don't think you're doing more damage if something hurts. Just keep that in the back of your mind that it's a part of the journey keep the open lines of communication with your healthcare provider and just make sure you're on the same page when it comes to that. Yeah. And the communication is huge with that of knowing that and on both of our ends of as providers being able to say, Hey, we not expect this to hurt, but to some degree, like it's normal. If you have some soreness, you might, yeah. we did something that you haven't done in five years. You're probably going to feel a little sore the next couple of days. And that's totally normal. And being able to have that communication is, is huge. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. So last thing here, Z, before we wrap up our hypothetical question, asking all of our guests. So let's say you're walking out of a favorite coffee shop and you run into your younger self of 10 years back. So younger Z asks currency uh, for some life advice, some guidance, uh, looking for just some direction on, on where to go and what to do. And you only have 60 seconds. You're on your way to an appointment with a, a patient and you got to get to it. So what are you telling younger Z and what advice are you giving them? Uh, you know, definitely about taking, you know, take care of yourself, make sure that you're making sure that you're, you know, you're staying physically active, you're eating well, you're sleeping well, you're taking care of all that, that back end stuff. And I think at the end of the day, whatever you do in your life, make sure that you figure out like something that you get passion and joy out of that gets you out of bed every day. And you're, and you're, it's one of those things where it's like, you're, you're looking forward to doing what you do. You want to serve people, you want to work in different industries. It doesn't matter what you do, figure out something that you get passion from. And make sure that you're giving back to your giving back to this world somehow. Like leave a legacy and find find a pathway that you can go that allows you to do that. If you don't do any of that, then you're gonna just you know a rat on a wheel, and that's the last thing you want to do. Older Z doesn't want that to happen. Either, you know. I love that man, and I, I'm I'm so glad you've you found that passion with ACL stuff and just helping people get out of pain in general. You're such a uh, 
I mean, one of the most caring healthcare practitioners I know, and you invest so much into your, into your patients and are doing some pretty incredible things in the ACL rehab specifically, but just in general. And, and where can people find you if they're looking to get a hold of you? Yeah. So, um, I'm probably most active from a social media standpoint on Instagram. So the, the handle is ignite physio, the physio is P H Y Z I O. Um, if you have any questions about anything, I'm happy to always chat about anything. So if you shoot me an email, it's ignitephysio at gmail.com. I'm always happy to have a conversation and, and just, you know, help people and, and get people pointed in the right direction. Yeah. At the very least, if you're on Instagram, follow his stuff. He's absolutely killing the game with, with the content. So Z such a pleasure having you on, man. I appreciate you taking the time to help educate our listeners and really had a blast. Uh, likewise, man. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate what you're doing for the community out there, brother. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the men made for more podcast. I hope you found today's show valuable and that you have some actionable strategies you can apply to your life today. If this is your first time listening. Thanks for being here. The aim of this podcast is to provide a ton of the best possible content to help you grow in your journey to becoming the best version of yourself. If you enjoyed the podcast and found it helpful, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review. These subscriptions and reviews help other like-minded men discover the podcast and take the next step in strengthening their body, their mind, and their purpose. If you're a regular listener, I can't thank you enough for investing in yourself in this show. Please make sure to share this with a friend or post on social media and tag me with your favorite part from today's show. If you haven't already, make sure to join the Men Made for More Facebook group to be a part of a community of like-minded men that are elevating their game and living for more by searching Men Made for More on Facebook. Keep challenging yourself, growing, and know that it's okay to get out of your comfort zone and know that you're made for more. Thanks for listening and see you guys soon.